You're listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org. Well, thank you so much for your giving during this time, for your faithfulness. It makes all of this possible, and it's so good to be uh, back with you. If you're watching online, maybe you haven't seen me before. My name is Stuart Pendle, and I'm Minister of Couples and Assimilation. That means I work with couples who are adopting pets in order to put off having kids, and then those who are just trying to get their kids out of the house. So those are kind of the two groups that I work with. I also work with our assimilation process, which is just a fancy word for all of our new members and how you can be a part of our church, become a part of our church body, and we hope that you'll do that uh, in the days to come, going from online to actually here worshiping with us and becoming a church member. And so that's kind of what I do. I have missed all of you. I miss seeing those faces. I don't know if you've experienced this. Have you experienced the shock of when you actually see someone live and in person that you've seen on Zoom calls or on Facebook, and it's almost kind of shocking to see them. And so I have so missed uh, seeing each and every one of you, but I'm grateful for our leadership of our church, who in a lot of wisdom are keeping us safe and I think transitioning back in a really, really safe way. Uh, I've missed all of you, and I haven't missed this more. I want to clarify, I haven't missed this more, but I've really missed baseball too. Baseball is one of my loves, and I've really missed baseball. So in order to kind of get my fix for baseball, I have adopted the Korean baseball organization. I'm a big Lotte Giants fan. Uh, we started 5-0, and and I thought I have picked the correct Korean baseball team. I picked right, we're going to do this, and now we had a rough week. Uh, we are just clinging to the very last playoff spot. If the playoffs started today, we would be in the very last spot. But I'm cheering on the Lotte Giants. I don't watch them at 2 or 3 in the morning. I watch it tape delayed, uh, but I don't check any of the standings until I watch. So uh, I'm a hardcore Korean baseball fan now. Um, but at the same time, I miss uh, going to the game. I miss seeing the new Globe Life Field. And one of the rituals that we always have in baseball is singing the national anthem. And so we're going to play a little bit of Jeopardy. I'm going to be Alex Trebek. You can play at home if you're playing online. I want, what is the song that is actually what we call our national anthem? The Star Spangled Banner. Now, most of us know, okay, there's a Star Spangled Banner. We're familiar with that. But who wrote the words to the Star Spangled Banner? Francis Scott Key. If you're playing at home, you can buzz in. And Francis Scott Key was, the, was what we heard around the room here. And so we all kind of know that, right? We know that Francis Scott Key wrote a poem called The Defense of Fort McHenry. And he writes this poem, which is later then set to pretty familiar music. And then a hundred years later is said to be, this is our national anthem. And so we play it before baseball games or uh, when someone wins an Olympic medal, we play this song as our national anthem. And the line that always gets me in that song is when he says, the rocket's red glare, the bombs bursting in air, gave proof through the night that our flag was still there. Now, I don't know if the War of 1812 was just one big battle of capture the flag. I don't know if that's what it was referring to, but at least it says if the flag is still there and we can see it, we are still in this fight. What that song helps us to do is remember that event. It helps us to remember that event, all of the events that took place to win our freedom. Uh, so it helps us remember, but also interpret that event. It helps us to interpret the meaning of that event and what it meant to us. The same thing happens in Psalm 136. In Psalm 136, which we're going to read together, so if you're at home, you can grab your Bible, or if you're here, grab your Bible, your tablet, your phone, uh, whatever you read Scripture with during the service, you can grab that at home as well. And uh, we're going to read Psalm 136 together. But what Psalm 136 does, it's going to cover a lot of ground, 
And when it does, it's going to tell us not only events that we should remember, but how we should interpret that events. And in fact, it kind of gives us one way to interpret all of these events that we see in the Bible. And then we're going to kind of run that up to our day and time and how we should maybe interpret the events that we're living through as well. So Psalm 136, and we're going to go kind of old school. This psalm was most likely read in worship at the temple, and you'll see kind of why, the, the repetition that it states. So we're going to do the same thing they would have done back then, living in the land, worshiping at the temple. We're going to do that same thing this morning. So if you would stand, and we're going to read Psalm 136 together. Maybe it's kind of weird to sing at home. Maybe you feel uncomfortable with that, but we ask you to read with us, even if you're watching uh, at home. Psalm 136. I'm going to read verse 1, so I'm going to read all the odd verses. You read all the even verses, okay? So Google Classroom is now in session. I'm odd numbers. You're even numbers, okay? Psalm 136, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and the stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sion, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state, and his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. You can go ahead and be seated. So we know that in Hebrew poetry and Hebrew song lyrics in the Old Testament, they use a lot of parallels. They put a lot of things in parallel to kind of compare and contrast, either to generate a lot of motion in one direction or to put things in juxtaposition against one another. But in this one, they use a lot of repetition. They use a lot of repeating over and over and over. You, you heard that refrain over and over and over again. And so what we can clue into that as we interpret this psalm is there's something the psalmist wants us to know. There's something that he wants us to sit down and to take a minute and to remember and sometimes that's really, really hard because if you're like me, uh, maybe even when you were reading that, did you begin to develop your grocery list? 
Did you begin to think about your click and pull list, an errand you have to run, a place you need to go, an email that you need to send when you get back home, whatever it is, did you begin to think about those things? I, I do those things. Maybe you even had enough time that when I was on, reading the odd passage, you went, your mind went somewhere else and then you came back in right on, right on cue. You just picked up the next even passage because you're just so used to doing all these multiple things at once. Our minds move really, really fast and can do multiple things at once, typically, or at least try to. But at the same time, our hearts move a lot slower. And so let your heart be kind of transformed this morning by Psalm 136 because your heart's going to move a lot slower. In fact, I think what the psalmist is really getting at is not just grocery lists and to-do lists and all those things that we have that kind of clutter our mind, but instead he's also dealing with that steady, small voice of Satan that says, you're not eligible for God's love. You haven't performed well enough for God's love. You're ineligible from church. You're ineligible from God to use you. You've messed up. If the people in your Bible fellowship group that meet on your Zoom, if they knew what you were really like, well, they'd they would just throw you out. You're kind of ineligible to do all this. You think God really loves you? You think Jesus really loves you? Really? I mean, after all the things you've done, that steady drumbeat of you're not worthy. You're not eligible for God's steadfast love. So that's what the psalmist is really trying to steer us away from. And we'll watch how he does that. First point number one, he says this simply, God loved you yesterday. He begins in the first three verses. That's kind of the on-ramp. That's kind of the big start of the psalm. But then in verses 4 through 9, he says this. He says, To him alone who did great wonders, he made the heavens. He spread out the earth. He made the great lights. He put the sun in place and the moon and the stars to rule over the night. He points us all the way back to creation to say, God loved you yesterday. Remember yesterday when he created the world? Remember when he created all that? That was an act of love. A lot of times I think about creation. I think about God placing all these things just right as an act of creation, as an act of beauty, as a display of God's, uh, God's power and God's incredible design and his incredible creativity. But have you ever thought about creation as an act of love? Have you ever thought about it as this is really an act of love? Because it's also what provides our food, what provides our water. We wouldn't have got here today unless God had provided for us through creation. And so really is his creation an act of love, an act of his steadfast love to remember that you were created and this world that we live in was created. In fact, this one simple passage going back to creation honestly kind of gives us a little bit of focus on what our nation is going through now. If we go back to creation, we realize that everyone is created in the image of God, that your skin color, your gender, all those things don't matter. You were created in the image of God. And so Genesis tends to kind of calibrate all of our lives it tends to go back and refocus where we're from and what we're about and how much God has to do with that. And so in building this case that God loved you yesterday, he not only says creation, but then he moves us forward just a little bit to remember the Exodus. Notice in verses 10 through 16, if we were to take out those refrains, just to help us interpret, not taking them out of the scripture, but if we took out those refrains, it would read like this in verses 10 through 16. Remembering that God loved you yesterday, he struck down the firstborn of the Egyptians. He brought Israel out. He used his strong hand to divide the Red Sea, and the people passed through it. He overthrew Pharaoh and his soldiers, and he led them out of the wilderness. It was, in fact, God's steadfast love that helped you defy the Egyptian gods and to defy the Egyptian government. 
It was actually in God's steadfast love that he led you out of that land. Not only did he just lead you out of Egypt, but into this wilderness where he sustained you. If you go down to verses 17 through 22, if you take out the refrains and say, God struck down the great kings and gave us this land. Most likely they're reading this psalm in the temple. So they're the people of Israel, God's covenant people, they're in the, the promised land. They've moved into the promised land. They're in the temple and they're repeating this psalm, reading it out loud like we just did in the temple. And so in this passage, it says, God loved us yesterday. Think about our fathers and our grandfathers and our great-grandfathers who left Egypt. Think about the generation, that greatest generation that we have, but it's the lost generation of Israel that was lost out there in the wilderness. Remember them? Think about the stories that they told about their fathers and their grandfathers. Think about what it meant to them to read Psalm 136 in the land that those generations were just trying to get to. So they stand up in the temple and they read this psalm together and say, God's steadfast love was there when we exited Egypt and then when we came around to the promised land. The psalmist has walked us from creation through Moses exiting Egypt, wandering around the wilderness, going into the promised land, but now he shifts. Now there's a little shift in tone in verse 23 to point number two, God still loves you today. Not only did God love you yesterday, but God still loves you today. Verses 23 through 25. It is he who remembered us in our low estate for his steadfast love endures and rescued us from our foes for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh for his steadfast love endures forever. Notice the change in language there. It moves from all those things that happened in the past to us, meaning the people who were present when I'm writing this psalm, when we're celebrating this psalm is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as we celebrate this psalm, remember when God protected us when we couldn't protect ourselves? Remember when God provided for us and gave us food when we couldn't provide for ourselves? Those are very careful phrases that he uses there. Remember when we moved into a promised land that had armies and people already established here? Remember when we moved into a neighborhood that was already established and God protected us when we couldn't protect ourselves? Remember when he provided food for us when we couldn't provide for ourselves? God is still going to love us today. We use that word still carefully, and we use that here because we want to emphasize God's kessed love, his covenant love that he has for us. God's covenant love, he invited them into that covenant love. See, he'd been expressing his love since creation, all through the Exodus, leading them into the promised land, but now he invites them into this covenant love, into this relationship with himself. Now, they would have been reminded that this covenant was free to them, it was an open invitation. Whether you're an Israelite or not, you could join in God's covenant love for you. But it doesn't mean that that covenant was inexpensive or cheap by any means. They would have seen at the temple all the lambs and all the bulls and all the grain and all the oil that it took to maintain that relationship with God. All those sacrifices that had to go onto that offering, go onto that altar and be offered to God to maintain that covenant relationship with them. So the, the invite is open to them. They're, they're free to come into that covenant relationship with God, but it's expensive. It costs them a lot. It takes a lot of faith to leave your field and leave your herds and to go and worship, to take three times a year to go celebrate at the temple in these festivals where you're trusting that those crops are going to come in and those animals back home are going to be okay. It takes a lot of faith to pause and to stop, to think about what God has done to you. So he says, God loved us yesterday. He still loves us today, providing for us and protecting us when we can't do it for ourselves. 
And all of that really builds, all of that really builds into this final case where he says, point number three, God will love you tomorrow. God's going to love you tomorrow. Verse 26, God, give thanks to the God of heaven for his steadfast love endures forever. He hooks back around to the first three verses to say, our God is not like all the other gods here on earth. Our God isn't like all those other gods. Our God is a living God, full of steadfast love, who won't abandon us, who doesn't leave us. He's there every single step of the way. And the only way I can go into the future knowing that, the only way I can go into the future believing that and knowing that is if I've built this case that he loved me yesterday and he loves me today so I can move forward saying, I think he's going to love me tomorrow as well. This is kind of hard because a lot of times I think about we're in such a privileged place because the Bible has been written, closed, ended. We get to see this whole arc of redemptive history. And so we're so blessed to have all this. We, we know how the story ends. We, we wouldn't even tell these people. We wouldn't, if we somehow could do back to the future and go back and talk to them, that we wouldn't say, we wouldn't whisper in their ear, by the way, there's going to come a time where uh, you're not going to live in this land anymore. There's going to be another country who's going to come in here. They're going to destroy this temple and walk you off to another country. You're one day going to recite this psalm from captivity. We wouldn't even want to ruin the party by saying that, right? We wouldn't want to even whisper that in their ear. But they didn't know the end of redemptive history. They didn't know that what was going to happen in the future. They were just resting in Psalm 136 that day, that time, in that temple to say, God's steadfast love endures forever. And they could move forward in that. In the same way, even though we have so much of the story here in our Bibles and you have so much of the story there at home, so many resources and apps and everything you can look this up on, this has kind of ended. The eyewitnesses to the Bible and the Holy Spirit has written these te this text. We, a lot like them back then, have to move forward in faith. We have to move forward in God's steadfast love, going, well, he loved us yesterday and today. We believe he's going to love us into the future. This is a difficult time because we're kind of living right where they lived, right? We don't know where the rest of redemptive history is going. We don't know what God's doing right now. Everybody can write a blog post and an article and have a TV show and do interviews about where this is all headed. But we really have to move forward in faith and God's steadfast love. That's hard for us as planners. Do we have any planning, calendaring, uh, organizing people in the room or at home? Do we have anybody who lives off of their calendar, their day planner, the calendaring app? And this is a really difficult time when there's very few dates you can put on the calendar. Very few things you can say for sure in the future this is going to happen. Maybe it just exposes how tenuous some of, all, some of those plans really were to begin with. But it's hard because we, like these people, don't know where the rest of redemptive history is going. So we have to move out on faith move out in confidence of God's steadfast love. But think about this. Think about if you were actually going through the events we just discussed. We kind of discussed in detail a little bit God using Moses to lead his people out of Egypt into the promised land. But real life people, real life individuals went through those circumstances. Like real life people went through the Exodus. We believe that it's a historical event, that it really did happen. And so for each individual that went through those events, there was an individual perspective. Imagine if I'm a poor Egyptian and I've seen Pharaoh go by in his motorcade with, you know, rims on his chariot and all the wealth. I've walked by his house. Like I know where Pharaoh lives, but I'm a poor Egyptian. I don't have all that. 
And maybe I'm starting to think that all these Egyptian gods were just constructed to kind of hold me down, to just kind of oppress me and keep me poor and keep me working in this Egyptian society. And then maybe I watched this God of these Israelites, this Yahweh God, maybe I watched him bring all these plagues, one by one defying the gods of Egypt. One by one showing more power than those gods of Egypt and more power than they had. And maybe by the time all those plagues were done, I was pretty well convinced that the God of the Israelites, that living God of the Old Testament, he's the real God. These Egyptian gods, there was really nothing much to them in the first place. What if I'm a poor Egyptian? What if I'm a poor Israelite? What if I'm a poor Israelite? I'm making bricks and I'm even further oppressed. I'm more bricks, less straw. And by the way, try to hide your children before we find them before we try to do away with your children. You're crying out to God. You're praying every day. You've hid so many kids and you've made so many bricks. You get so little food that you're like, God, when are you ever going to show up? Are you ever going to hear the prayers of your people? Are you ever going to hear us? Because I've been making a lot of bricks. My family's been really poor for a long time. Will you ever hear the prayers of these oppressed people? God, we know you're the living God. We know you're more powerful than the gods of Egypt, but are you ever going to show up? Now imagine if you're kind of a middle-class Israelite in Egypt. We know that not all of them made bricks. Many of them worked with stone and wood. They were taught how to carve and construct. These were skilled craftsmen who lived a more middle-class life. These were the first people that complained in the Exodus because they say, at least when I worked back in Egypt, they brought food to the job site. We'd go back to the meat pots I used to eat at because at least... The economy was better for me and my family when we lived back in Egypt. I don't care about all this theology. I don't care about whose God wins what. All I know is back in Egypt, I had a job. And my family was provided for, and I ate pretty good in Egypt. And so if the economy is better for my family, let's go back to that. Forget all this God stuff. Maybe you weren't just a middle-class Israelite. Maybe you were a royal Egyptian. Maybe you just assumed that I've got enough servants, I've got enough army, I can insulate myself from all these things going on around me. I'll just insulate myself from all these plagues, all this stuff. I got enough servants, they can throw out frogs, they can kill flies. I'll just hire people to kind of insulate me from these plagues. But then your wife comes to you crying and says, our firstborn child has passed away. Then you decide, okay, enough's enough, get out of here. But then the thought crosses your mind, you know what, I got that big army for a reason. Fastest, most well-equipped, best technology of the time. Let's go back and get those Israelites. So you send your army out to just go get them because you're like, forget that, come back. We decided we had some more construction projects we wanted you to work on. And one lone soldier walking back towards Egypt says, they're gone. Everybody's gone. All the chariots are at the bottom of the Red Sea. We've been defeated. So from every single one of those perspectives, you would have seen the Exodus differently. Poor Israelite, poor Egyptian, middle-class Israelite, middle-class Egyptian, royal Egyptian. All up and down the line, you would have seen the Exodus event from all different perspectives. From all different ways. You would have exaggerated and retold that story and put your own spin on it. You would have drummed up your own revisionist history about how it all happened. And yet Psalm 36 tells us how we're to interpret the Exodus event. God's steadfast love endures forever. The thread running through all of these events, from the exodus to the wilderness, 
wandering around, going into the promised land, is that God's steadfast love endures forever. That's the thread. That's the interpretation. That's the national anthem. It's not to say, did you hear about great, great, great grandpa and how heroic he was coming out of Egypt or how, yeah, he was one of the complainers. We're sorry, your great uncle was a real complainer out in the wilderness. He says, here's how you interpret that event. Here's how you remember that event. You say, God's steadfast love endures forever. And yet we know, because we know much of the rest of the story, that God was not done showing his steadfast love for us. We want you to know at home, if you're watching, we want those in this room to know that God's steadfast love didn't end there. It didn't end when this psalm was written. But in fact, God would send his son to die on a cross to once again invite us into that covenant relationship with him, to invite us into that covenant relationship, a covenant relationship that's free to you and it's free to join, it's free to repent of your sin and to place your faith in Christ. But at the same time, it came at a really, really high cost because God actually had to send his son to die on a cross. And so if you don't know that at home or you don't know that here, we want you to know that God's steadfast love is still available to you. It came at a really, really high price, but God showed his love in sending his son that when he's hanging on that cross, you've seen that picture a hundred times, you've seen that movie, that when he's hanging on that cross, it essentially says, my steadfast love endures forever. Regardless of what you've done or where you've been or how well you think you've done, my steadfast love endures forever. The one line you can trace through all these historical events, the one line you can trace through your own history is this, God's steadfast love endures forever. You say, well, how does that apply to me in 2020? It's an incredible invitation to join that covenant, which we express to you if you're watching online or if you're here in this room. And after this service, we'll give you an opportunity to talk to a minister and talk about joining in that covenant love. But maybe you're already a believer. Maybe you've already joined in that covenant. You've already repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ. But recently you've gone through a test. Recently you've been through a test where during this time of quarantine, maybe you crushed it. Man, you did so good during quarantine. You just linked up Google Classroom. You got your email going. You were never short with your spouse during the entire quarantine of being in the house together. Uh, you were never short with your kids. You were never, uh, you know, never lost your temper with your kids, never lost your temper on a Zoom call. You always wore pants to your Zoom calls. You got ready in the morning. Maybe you say, I just crushed it. Man, I passed the test. I'm so proud of how I did. But maybe for others, you would say, I'm not so sure that I passed this test. I'm not so sure that I got an A on this last test. Maybe when you were home and kind of quarantined and you went through this time, maybe you would say, I, I ate more than I thought I was going to eat. I, I, I drank more than I thought I was going to drink. Maybe I went to some websites that I thought I, just, I was done going to. I hadn't been to those in a long time. Maybe you, just, you had decided as a couple, no more credit cards, no more credit cards, no more credit cards, and you got nervous, and you took one more out, and then your hours got cut. And now you're saying, I don't know if God provides for me. Does God still provide for me when I make those choices, when I just get caught in a bad time, in a bad situation? Maybe the debt is rising, or you're 
just relying on some crutches that maybe you thought you didn't rely on anymore. Maybe it was that uneasy feeling as you entered into quarantine saying, there's some coping devices that I use, some places I go, some people I hang out with, and I can't hang out with them anymore. And you had that uneasy feeling in your gut going, how am I going to cope for this many weeks? How am I just going to be home, just me and God, me and my family? How's that going to go? And so for many of you, you may be thinking this. You may be thinking, I don't know how well I did on that test. I don't know if I passed this test. And that slow voice in the back of your mind that we talked about at the beginning, Satan saying, God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't, his steadfast love, you're not eligible for that. You've messed up. You're in the penalty box. You're on the bench. He doesn't love you anymore. You're ineligible for God's steadfast love. If the people in your Bible fellowship group knew who you were, they'd kick you off the Zoom. They'd mute your mic. They wouldn't listen to you anymore. Maybe you're not eligible for God's steadfast love. But here's what I think the psalmist in 136 is saying. God's steadfast love is so strong. He loves you more than you love yourself or more than you hate yourself. He loves you more than you love your sin or more than you hate your sin. We all have those emotions where we love ourselves too much We hate ourselves too much. We love our sin too much, and then we hate our sin. And yet God's steadfast love is stronger than all of that. It took me a long time and a lot of years to realize that my performance or my perfection or lack thereof, my ups and downs, doesn't have any effect on God's steadfast love for me. That I'm still eligible for God's love. I'm still invited into that covenant love that he has for me, regardless of how I act, regardless of whether I pass this quarantine test or not. With flying colors, I just crushed it, lost 10 pounds, I run a 5K every day, like all those things, or maybe I'm just really disappointed in how I did. And maybe I'm sorry for who I was in quarantine. Say, I'm still eligible for God's steadfast love. If you're watching at home, or you're sitting here, you may be thinking those same thoughts. You may be thinking, I need to really rest in Psalm 136 because I can't move forward to say God will love me tomorrow unless I say God still loves me with a covenant love today. You may need someone to talk to about that. You may need someone that you can cry on their shoulder from six feet away or talk to them or do whatever you need to do or some minister that you can talk to where you can say, I feel ineligible for God's love. I want to experience God's love again. And so in a moment, I'm going to pray, but I want you to comment below in the live stream. Comment below if you're watching this hours later on Facebook. I want you to email us as a church. I want you to reach out to us and let us know how we can be praying for you, how we can minister to you. And the same goes for those in this room. There are ministers here who you can meet out in the hallway. They'd love to talk with you. They'd love to pray with you. Because so many times we all have our own perspective on what all has gone on. And you know what? Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then as a result, we can show that love for others. Sometimes we get consumed with all our own opinions and our own thoughts. You know, I've been reminded that what this world probably needs right now is not my latest hot take on everything that's going on. But John would say in 1 John that, We love because he first loved us.
Because I've experienced God's steadfast love, I can give that to other people. And so I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you need to pray about some of that, either joining for a first time in God's covenant love or just saying, I want to express love better to those around me. I want to express love better to some of my friends. I want to reach out to some of the people I've lost contact with and express to them God's steadfast love. Thanks for listening to the North Richland Hills Baptist Church Sermon Audio Podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, go to nrhbc.org.